Keys to the Commonwealth, a podcast where we share the real stories of local community members who are using real estate to build personal wealth, along with tips and tricks from professionals across the industry. And now, your host, Landry Fields. Welcome back, everyone, to the Keys to the Commonwealth podcast. Uh, excited to be back with you all to this week on uh, another exciting episode. We've got an awesome opportunity today to talk with a, a couple here from Central Kentucky uh, that have a 10-year season veterans of locally investing in uh, real estate. Uh, started off in a different state, but is now located mostly here in Central Kentucky. Uh, so we're going to talk a lot about rental management uh, over the course of their 10 years of doing that. Uh, as you know, as an insurance advisor, I work with a lot of real estate investors and professionals every day and love to learn from their expertise on all these things related to real estate, as well as get their story so hopefully we can better understand the real estate investing, uh, gaining knowledge from them, or, or having them give you the confidence to take the jump into bettering your life and family through real estate, potentially. My guests today, plural again, are the husband and wife team of Casey and Casey Massey that own quite an extensive portfolio in real estate. And yes, you heard me correctly, Casey and Casey. However, for the, make sure everyone doesn't confuse, we'll use Casey's first name of Kevin as the husband here for the remaining of the podcast so everyone knows what we're, who we're talking to in that sense. Uh, Kevin, though, was born right here in Lexington where he attended Lexington Catholic High School, received his degree from Georgetown College. Casey is from Orem, Utah, where she attended Utah Valley University and then finished at Georgetown College as well. Together, they have uh, two beautiful kids, Beckett and Starley. And uh, one on the way as well, which is exciting. And so very excited to have Kevin and Casey to the Keys of the Commonwealth Studio, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. Um, as we start every episode out, um, jump back into the DeLorean here and kind of tell me, how did you get into real estate uh, to begin with? A lot of people kind of fall into it or, you know, it's not like you just graduate college and say, hey, this is what I'm going to do necessarily. Sometimes you do, but... How'd you guys get into real estate? Well, I kind of threw my wife into it, but I uh, read a book in my probably around 20 that was called Rich Dad Poor Dad, which a lot of people know that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's got a lot of people to focus on investing in, in real estate. And so from a younger age... How old? I, when I was 20. Okay. Yeah, 20. I, I, I just always knew after that that I wanted to buy real estate. And so my goal was to figure out how much active income I could put into passive income. Now we've kind of skipped from passive to active again, but it's, you know, we've gotten past the easy part of managing. It's more full time now, but we, uh, I read that book and I was dating Casey. I'd just gone to Utah. Um, I worked in a summer sales position for, for a long time, uh, during and after college. And during my winter months, I would be able to live wherever we wanted. So went to Utah, met Casey and to kind of show her I was serious. I bought a condo, like around the corner from her parents' house, so it was kind of fun, and we I lived there for not even a year, and then we moved to Kentucky and turned that into a rental. I house-hacked it, rented two rooms, and lived there for free, um, and then when we moved to Kentucky and got married, we kind of, that was the only rehab we ever did on our own, okay. and we did about 50% and decided we're not made to, <laughs> to remodel houses, so. We're currently going through our own, doing it our 50% roughly ourselves and it's if it's always I've heard this is true of like this the first one's your hardest one but then like we've kind of learned so much that we would not have either been aware of or known to look at or look for that it's going to make everything else from here on out at least that much better or easier or know what we're talking about or know what needs to be looked at but I want to get on back so how did he convince you to move to Kentucky though is it was there this like stereotype at all I'm, I gotta ask in some respects. 
Um, it was probably me more so than him, I, I would think. Well, she was playing D1 volleyball, but she was a walk-on. Okay. So she wanted, you know, I kind of presented the opportunity. I said, hey, the volleyball team's really good at Georgetown. Like, Well, I, I struggled with my coach, and yeah, I didn't want to play against him. I didn't want to sure. transfer close by, and but I wanted to play. And, and so he was like, why don't we go to Kentucky? And I was like, yeah, let's go to okay. Kentucky. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Uh, very brown, right, in Utah versus very green here? Or I, I really am very mm-hmm. – well, so I don't Utah, know much about Utah as far as the <laughs> landscape other than it's gorgeous. I know that in a lot of ways. It's kind of – I mean, you can describe it, but split into two, the two I, states. Yeah, it just depends on what okay. part you're in. Where we lived, it was kind of all four seasons. Mountainous, good snow. Okay. Like, it is dry, drier climate, but, like, the northern – like, the central and northern half is more, like – not gonna say lush, but it's mountains. Yeah. You go south and it turns into the Moab, the southern Utah, okay. the desert. So skiing up north and then outdoorsy off roading in the south. Okay. So very gotcha. orange and brown in the south. Okay. And, and more mountainous, more Colorado feel in the north. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. But yeah, so I mean, to kind of go off that, so 2012 is when we bought our first condo. Mm-hmm. And then 2013, we moved to Kentucky and bought, uh, both were bank owned. 2012 was kind of like, you had your pickings, right? Like this condo building yeah. had like four or five different bank-owned properties, so we got to just pick the best one. Felt like kind of coming out of the you know recession mm-hmm. of you know owning real estate and so yeah. forth, I guess. So time. so I you know I was always told to put twenty percent down. I never did like an FHA, so I just my goal when I got my earnings for the year was I need to buy a place. Yeah, so I bought a place in Utah, and then when we moved to Kentucky, it was another bank-owned property. We actually never saw the inside. We walked around the outside and. Uh, when we were visiting my parents for Thanksgiving, we went back home and decided to put an offer. We got that one as well. And then we got in. We basically just did all the demo work and some light painting. And then after that, we said, like, hey, we're not going to do anything else. Do you all still do bank-owned as far as sometimes uh, the acquisition goes? If we can find one, you know, okay. it's just like. Is it harder now? Yeah, or? it just doesn't really get that far. It seems okay. like most people can just list their house. You know, they're not, if they're, if they're under a, a situation where they're going to lose their house, they're going to just list it and they're going to sell it. So okay. it's not as common, whereas back in the day, people would try to list it and it would sit for a while and then they would lose it. You know, now if you're losing it, losing your house, you just list it. Gotcha. So interesting. just what I've seen, but I'm sure there are still bank owned. We've never done like auction. We've done one auction that was just recently, but other than that, we've never bought an auction. The bank owned were listed on the MLS. As far as auction ones, I mean, there's a site I know a I don't know if it's per county, but I know it's Fayette County. What is that one called? The Master Commissioner. Yeah, Master Commissioner. So I've never been the Fayette County one, but the only auction we've done was just a private auctioneer. Okay. That was recently in in Jesmond County. So um, it was more of like my wife, I was walking out the door, my wife was like, don't buy a house, and came back and bought a duplex. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, I don't know what I was, I I probably shouldn't have gone, but um, I actually was done bidding and the auctioneer took my no as a bid, so that was how I got that uh, one. So that was fun. But <laughs> so yeah, there we go. But you live and learn. So, so was the so when, at what point did you kind of you know you all decide hey let's jump into this or actually make that push towards kind of like you know uh, make this a big career in the summer sense? Um, so with my job, so I did door to door sales for thirteen years. So I know it's very abnormal for people in Kentucky, but in Utah, a lot of people do do businesses that are geared, their sales position is geared around door-to-door, whether it's internet, uh, satellite, um, you know, cable, home security is what I did, and then there's solar, 
pest control is a very big one. So those guys that knock on your door during the summer, a lot of those come out of companies that were started in Utah. Interesting. So I worked with home security, and so I would take teams out every summer. And I still work with Fluent Home. That's that's what I do. Um, I guess that's like my position if I were you know have a job. You're so, W two. Yeah, uh, ten nine nine. No, I'm ten nine nine. Everything's okay. ten nine nine. So everything's commission ten nine nine. Um, so, but I would create teams and take them to different markets. So my wife and I would move, and we would just Airbnb whatever house that we lived in at the time. We would rent that. So that's how we got started in Airbnb like five or six years ago. We would just rent our house when we were gone because we didn't want it to sit empty. So. We would then work all summer, and then we would travel or do real estate in the downtime, which is like the fall, the winter, early spring. It's spent towards recruiting, training new guys for the next summer. So that's how we kind of focused on real estate because we had the time. You know, summertime, we didn't really deal with it really at all, but you know, other than collecting rent and dealing with little problems, but we wouldn't buy anything during the summer. And then in the off-season, we call it, we would then spend time kind of focusing on what can we buy next? What can we invest into? Um, we just roll any checks that we got. Because it, it was a nice pay structure because I would get paid most or about half during the summertime. And then the other half would come in one check at the end of the year, like in October. So then you get this check and you're like, well, I can go yeah, burn it or let it sit in my account or I can go buy something. Learning so, to live off the smaller part of the income and knowing, you know, that is kind of nice in some mm-hmm. senses if you kind of... It gives you a good discipline to know, like, <laughs> whether then if it was coming in on a month-to-month basis, then totally. it's a little bit harder sometimes, especially when we're younger, to not want to go use that money for something. Or, yeah, yeah. Know, so I would just take that, like and, that, you know. So it, it would help discipline for the 20% down. So every, each time we yeah. buy a house, it's always been 20% down. We've been able to come up with some new financing ways now working with local lenders, but early on we were doing the, the traditional 30-year fixed rate conventional loans, 20%, 20 mm-hmm. to 25% down, yeah. Maxed out to 10 yeah, and then it went all to commercial yep. or local lending after that, yeah. Okay. Uh, as far as that transition goes, I mean, what were some of the things that, or what were some of the challenges or kind of things you didn't foresee kind of switching that into kind of a full-time real estate side of things? I would say you my know. phone. My yeah. phone has blown up. Like, right. he's always like, you're on the phone all the time. And I'm yeah. like, well, we have tenants to talk yeah. to, you know, or I would say that's probably the... Yeah, she she... I mean, because we manage everything ourselves, yeah. you know, I have to really be respectful to my wife in that sense because, like, it might be 7 o'clock and we're getting kids in bed and she's taking a phone call, you yeah. know, because... Let's talk about how you guys split up things right now because it really is a team from what we were talking about earlier. I mean, she does all the heavy lifting. She's 70%. I'm probably 30, but she's, <laughs> she's, she's the brains to it. Basically, during the summertime, I was... We had maybe 20 properties at the time, 20 units. We do everything by units because... We probably only have, you know, so many buildings, but a lot of them, our biggest is 30, over 30 units, and then our smallest is single family. So we have a wide variety from short term to, you know, larger commercial, uh, not commercial in the sense, but uh, multifamily. But I, I was just working, knocking doors. You know, my hours were morning, I'd have meetings, afternoon and evening, I would work all the way till about nine o'clock at night. So if a tenant's calling me, which I used to do everything, I was really bad at landlording. Actually, I was terrible. Like, I would let people pay whenever they wanted. You know, I was really nice. We had the like, same girl calling us every month. I want to, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, something came up, and he'd be like, oh, no problem. I'm like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so my wife kind of put, put her foot down. I was like, well, yeah. you just deal with this. Like I, uh, so I'd send her a text message. Like, I'd get a voicemail and say, call this person. Can you deal with this? And so I kind of just threw it onto her lap, and yeah. she just ran with it. I mean, she, That's awesome. she took some... 
extreme ownership, you know, the book's a good book, but she took it in that sense, extreme ownership and just really owned it and, and just became a really good property manager. We're not an official property manager because everything we do sure. is our own or friends and family. So, but that's probably one of our future goals, which will come up later. But in a sense of uh, uh, partnerships, that's that was some of the beauty of that of finding good ones because you can both have better, you know, naturally better at certain skill sets than others mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, she's like she's my business really partner is like, he's very good at like being able to kind of, uh, be understanding and uh, feel like they're you know they're connecting with them really well, but at the same time still be able to be like, well, you know, you're not. I, 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 we have to stick to kind of like guidelines and not let people kind of walk all over us type of scenarios. So, uh, whereas I'm much more like I'd, I'd, uh, I, I wouldn't be good at that part of it. No. Yeah. So we're good cop, good cop, bad yeah. cop. So she's yeah. she's a bad cop a lot of times, and she doesn't. You know, yeah. I feel bad because I'm like, is this a lot of pressure on you? You know, having to like put your foot down with people, and she's like, no. It's fine. Like people like she'll tell me a story about someone like going off on her about not accepting them as a tenant. And I'm like, does that not weigh on you? Like, does that not make you feel bad? And I'm a people pleaser because I'm in sales. So I I want everybody to be happy, you know, all the time. Like I want to say yes to everyone. I'm a yes man. I'm a real big yes man. So anyone says something, I'm going to say, yeah, I'll figure out how to do it. But she's a really good at saying no. You know, she's like, <laughs> she's with our kids, with anything. Yeah. Like she's really good. So she, it's a good balance. I mean, I couldn't have done it with anybody else. So it's, it's, our business grew. My dreams were blown out of the water once she was added to the equation. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, Casey, how many doors do you all currently have as far as the what types of – what? because I know you guys have a variety of different types of uh, rental units and buildings and so forth. So what does that look like right now as far as the number and variety? Um, I think we are at about 120 for doors that okay. we own, and then we have friends and family with gotcha. probably – we don't partner with anybody. So, I mean, not that we are against that, but right. we don't have any ownership in any property other than our own. Right. And then we've sent our, once we got to a certain point, we said, Hey, we need to start helping friends and family because they live in different areas. Some live in Utah, some live in, some just don't know how to do it. And yeah. so we've just kind of sent properties that we thought were good buys to them and they'd buy it. And then we would just take up the management side. So we have about 30 others, I think that we manage for okay. our friends and family. Yeah. Nice. So your phone's literally blowing up all the time well i feel like we're in a good place we when we did our we did a big uh 31 well i guess it wasn't 31 exchange we did a big purchase last year with those bigger units yeah. and when we did that we switched to um uh, buildium and buildium yeah. has made my life so much better so let's let's like hit pause on everything else and talk about that a little bit because we haven't really talked about that but when it comes to self-managing a lot of this stuff there's a variety of good uh SaaS, you know, software as a service or other types of uh, um, organizations and companies out there that uh, are obviously built around managing the ins and outs, you know, the lease agreements, the background checks, the rent payments, the service requests, all this kind of stuff. So have you used a couple different ones? Obviously, so for those who aren't familiar, Buildium is one of the bigger ones, I think, uh, in that sense. They both have one that for bigger real estate ones, and they also have one that's specific more towards just kind of uh, if you're doing Airbnb type of stuff as well. So if I don't we, know anything like about that, what do we do? A lot of, <laughs> we've tried a lot of them. Yeah. Buildium has been by far the easiest. We've tried rent ready. We've tried, uh-huh. um, we did, we used e-forms for a while um, for like yeah. our leases and stuff. But. Is, is rent ready cool if it's just a few? Is is it is, well, it, is it is it is that the other part too of it? Like sometimes it's like okay, this one was good for this size of a book, I but think then it you depends start going. on your portfolio because like yeah. when I set up Buildium, I think we had just surpassed a hundred, and the guy was like, "I'm so shocked by you." He's like, "Most people will call me when they hit 20. 
You know, he's like, yeah. yeah, he's like, I'm surprised you've gone this long without doing it. But like, Rent Ready was great. But like, we we did one called Cozy. Yeah. But it doesn't. When That's somebody pays their rent through it, it doesn't go to the bank account until for like four days. Yeah. My tenants would pay rent and then they yeah. go sh- on a shopping spree and then it would bounce and it, it was so frustrating. Buildium is just a day and so it's just it, it's just been super easy for us like for our portfolio. So I think it depends yeah. on rent ready does that, but I still take it out. You just don't get it right. I think it takes like a few days from rent ready, but it's the, also the cost. I think yeah. Buildium's a two fifty minimum. Is that what you said? It I, yeah. I, I don't know. Off the and that's the other part about growing. You know, as you know. Rent ready is nice, and that's what we're using right now. <laughs> yeah. That's why I say that oh, yeah, because yeah. it was like, okay, this is a good place to have a lot of features, but for minimal cost, just because of where we're at. Obviously. I think it's just per unit, right? With rent ready early on, uh, I that's honestly what we don't used. remember it. <laughs> uh, my again, my business partner kind of Does took that, that and run with it. I kind of like laid it out, like here's all the different <laughs> options here. I'm good at like that research, and then it was like, uh, but yeah, it'll probably if we grow out and do a lot more, then yeah, maybe something like building them or a couple. Of, well, there are a couple of others. Atfolio is another yeah, one. Atfolio. So Atfolio and building them seem to be the two for like once you get over a certain amount. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a huge help and. Rent Ready was the great, thing, too. The thing about Buildium, and I, I don't know much about Rent Ready. I can't remember any, anyways, but it seemed like Buildium, the thing that we love about the most is the maintenance request. Um, that's where I struggled with it. People text me, hey, my toilet's not working. Okay. I'm, like, out driving my kids. Yeah. You know, it's like, and then I get home, <laughs> make dinner, and I go to bed, you know, and the toilet was never reported. But when it comes in through the app... I see it. He sees it. We're able to get it out to the plumber to fix the toilet. Yeah, you, you can yeah. be able to use that with your team of people, mm-hmm. service people at the same time to exactly. kind of like everybody's on the same ecosystem. And kind of the thing. It, when the report comes in, it says the tenant's name. It says what the problem is, their phone number. We literally screenshot it to our plumber. He yeah. calls them, fixes it. I mean, last week we thought a toilet wasn't fixed. I called my plumber. I'm like, hey, I'm going out there today. Let's meet. And my, I text my tenant and I said, I'm running late. Yeah. You know, my plumber will be there. And he's like, your plumber came last week. And I was like, oh. you know, like it's, it's just been a game changer right. for us. And that's a sign of having a good team. So like that, we already got a call. I mean, we're a month in, we already got a call. Like there's water pouring through the wall into the floor. I'm like, oh, oh no. my goodness. <laughs> Thankfully it was a unit on the other side that just hooked up a washer and dryer that Very common, did it yeah. incorrectly. <laughs> and we didn't realize there was two holes for the, you know, that water exit side of things from the washing machine and they just picked one and it was the wrong one so we've learned oh we need to go cap that one so no one does that again yeah. thankfully it was an easy fix so uh, that can be a bad thing for it sure it usually is yeah <laughs> I mean, that's what we find out like it's it's usually an easy fix that's just like oh so we got a funny thing about the before we were using building or one of our tents hadn't used it told us about a toilet that had been running and then they went out of town and we forgot it my wife was texted with her she gets like hundreds of texts a day it seems like but we ignored it, and then he got a water bill for how much? $800. 800 900 bucks. But it was like two months. Like it was spread across two months. It was a very yeah. big water bill. And so, I mean, some landlords, it, it's very easy to be a bad landlord, but it's also very easy to be a good landlord. So it's just like pick your easy, you know, yeah. or choose your heart. You like know, in that sense, you could be heart. like, it was your fault, but at the same time, it's like, well, you also brought it to our attention. Yeah. So. So we split it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we split it. Or yeah, we, we felt like we were both at fault. We we, we, t- we all talked about it. We're like, we you didn't report it the correct right. way. We didn't fix it. That's exactly know? what we just did. We just kind of like, hey, when we split this, I mean, there was, you know, kind of equal fault in some respects here. So yeah. Yeah. that's interesting. I'm glad we're doing things the right way sometimes. <laughs> you know, you're figuring it out on the fly a lot of times. But as far as that goes, I think that points towards... Uh, you know, what are some of the ways you are able to connect, impact, or love on your tenants type of thing? Because obviously, 
keeping a tenant around is usually the best and building that long-term relationship with them. If that's the case is obviously so much easier than constant turnover, you know? So what are those things that some of those things you can, you all kind of do, or is that a pointed Um, focus at all or? Oh, totally. I think the biggest thing that people tell me is they love having somebody to talk to. And that's where the texts come in. And I always tell people, I'm like, if you want to talk, feel free to text me. If you want to put in a maintenance request, do not text me, you know, (laughs) but, um, they always tell me like, that's the, the ultimate thing. Like, you know, we have one tenant who's like, I'm never leaving you. I'm like, Oh boy. There's a few tenants that say that, (laughs) but yeah, there's one that's blatantly like, yeah, wherever you get, you know, I need a three bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. Like let me move with you guys. So, but I think more than anything, you know, like my wife said, it's being a person, you know, understanding their circumstances they're going through. We had a tenant that recently, um, had a tragic thing happen in their family where their kid was, uh, their child, 18 years old, was basically assaulted at the, at the house. Um, and so they're in a tough position. And they're, and I spent, you know, about an hour talking with them yesterday, just listening to them. Yeah. And they said, look, if Kevin, if I need to go, because due to our safety, I was like, we're just going to go. We're just going to leave everything here. And I told my wife about it. And she was kind of like, well, you know, we're stuck dealing with that. And, and, and he said, in her he said sense, he's going to leave all of his furniture. Yeah. And I'm like, we have moved out furniture. I'm not moving things right, right and now. And so she, <laughs> she saw it from a business side. And I, you know, and I tried to say, well, I also listened to him for an hour. And yeah. if it was our child that was in a, you know, dangerous position with some bad blood out there, then I would, hopefully our landlord would understand that we just might need to go and yeah. just disappear in the night, you know? So, you know, obviously like there's some understanding that comes in and treating people like humans. And I tell every tenant when we, when they move in is our job is to be a good landlord. It's not just to collect rent. Our job is not just to take a check. Our job is to make sure you have a good, clean place, good, clean, safe place to live. And so there's certain areas we just won't buy in no matter how good the deal is. Most of our, and especially since my wife manages or is on site a lot, we, we, buy in just pretty good areas. Um, I mean, we do have some C-class rentals, but they're still in good parts of town. So, Do you have, do you have some Section 8 stuff as well, right? We do. We've never bought and put someone on Section 8. I think our own, you know, one of our own tenants, we've bought and transferred accepted. over. Accepted. Yeah, yeah like uh, taken Section 8, uh, what do you call it, inherited yeah. you know, tenants. So, how's that, how's that been? I know that's a lot of times people just like very afraid of that from a landlord perspective. I always tell people, we will accept your Section 8. We do not accept you because you are Section 8. Because I think a lot of people think, well, I have guaranteed money. You know, yeah. you're going to accept me as a tenant. No, not necessarily the case. You know, like we still want a quality person. And, sure. and they're like, well, I won't qualify for income. That's not what we're looking at. We're looking at your background and everything like right. that. Um, and then we rent not everybody. Nobody in, not everybody in Section 8, obviously, is the same cut from the same cloth kind of mm-hmm. scenario. People have hard times. I mean, you just like you can help. The nice thing about Section Eight is when we've had we've had a problematic tenant who was Section Eight inherited. Um, every time she gave us beef, we would call Section Eight and say, "Hey, she's not working with us." And they're like, "Okay," and then she'd call us back about an hour later. You can come, or you know, whatever it was that we needed. And <laughs> so the nice thing is you kind of have that. Extra. A little bit of leverage there. Yeah. It's kind of a checks and balances thing. Sure. You know, it's it's a mediator between and so it's it's nice in some sense, but it's also a pain in the you know, pain in the butt for yeah. sometimes where they are very strict. you know, you can't have, if you have a window screen and it's got a tear in it, you have to either completely remove that window screen or put in a new window screen. You can't just have a torn from the inspection screen. side yeah, that like comes with section. Yeah, eight. so they can be very yeah. difficult on the silliest little things. But it's also nice when you have, you know, guaranteed rent. Some of our best tenants are section eight tenants and it's 
Yeah, it's, it's not a problem. Um, Is there any certain things, as far as I know, obviously Section 8, they come in, they you know look over and approve a property for, to be Section 8. Is there any kind of differences that uh, you've come across or note in that that they're looking for that would not necessarily be something that's an, normally an issue with a non-Section 8? Or is it just usually the stereotypical things of what you would want? You know, I think the biggest thing that we've failed on is that you have to have a window that stays. I don't stays know if up. that would necessarily be on the top of our list. Stay, like stays up or yeah. stays down? To, like, like, so it's not it like it falling down every yeah, time? exactly. Okay. They're very, they're very... Yeah, I mean, like, if a plug's not working, like, they're going to make you fix it or they won't pay your rent. Like, if a plug goes out and they find it's not working, whereas a normal tenant might be like, oh, I don't use that plug. Yeah. It's not How working. often are they inspecting? It's about a year basis. It's been less because of COVID. Like, they, yeah. they switched it to every two yeah. years. And then, I mean, I feel like we haven't had any inspections in, in a Usually while. Usually they'll call the tenant and say, is everything working? And the tenant says, yeah, they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So so we like to maintain good relationships. But again, like you said, them. checks and balances. You kind of know everybody's upholding, I guess, their end of the bargain mm-hmm. there. In yeah, some respects. totally. No, I mean, I think it's a good, I think it's a great program. Um, you know, it's, it is a little bit of hoops to jump through in the beginning, but once that tenant's in and you're accepting the rent, you can raise your rent once a year, I think. Yeah. You can apply to raise the rent once a year. So that's nice. You know, you can you, you can get it up to market fairly quickly. Okay. Like if we bought we bought some buildings that might have really low rent and it's on Section 8, and we can just, instead of jumping someone $300, that might hurt someone that's a normal tenant. Yeah. Like, or not normal tenant, sure. but non-Section 8. But if you go to Section 8 and like, hey, this is what our comps are, this is what we're going to raise it to, and they just approve it, you know, it's really nice. When you say hoops, don't... We don't get too far inspection in the leash, but the just like the you know, inspection, the, yeah, the approval you process. The beginning, and if, if something is denied and you have to go in there and fix like a wire's not capped the right way or something, you know, if like a okay. garbage disposal okay. is removed and it's not in a junction box underneath the sink, like yeah. I've had that happen and you have to like fix it and then it might be a week before they can come back and reinspect. So it's like that yeah. tenant could have moved in already, but. There was waiting. a little tiny piece of rust on a freezer stand or whatever okay. and they made us pull it out spray paint it and put it back oh, a freezer like, inside the freezer yeah. yeah you know it's just like the the smallest things you it's amazing what they make you fix one <laughs> other thing we do is we get every tenant like a small christmas gift christmas card yeah. every christmas um you know i have a goal of acknowledging their birthday as well but christmas is something that we're successfully doing it's a busy december because when you're, even if it's just a bag of chocolates for every person, just going to 150 units and delivering yeah. chocolates is takes a lot, uh, especially with all the other Christmas, you know, December activities you have. Yeah. So we'll give them a card. We try to get a small gift card. Um, we have some family members that are part of the Malibu Jacks ownership here. So we try okay. to get some Malibu Jack stuff to them. Yeah. And so it's it's um, just letting people know you think about them. Again, like what did you say at, at the beginning there? As far as your response, our responsibility is to be good. Our, our job is to be good landlords yeah. and provide a good, exactly. safe, clean place to live. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what we say, say to everybody. So it's not just to collect rent. Uh, what are some of the ways you kind of identifying real estate opportunities, or uh, maybe parlay that into how you acquired the big? You know, was it thirty some units one recently, right? So we bought 65 units all at once. We sold a Utah house. Um, so I mean. We could talk for a whole podcast just on like how we've gotten to where sure, we've gotten, sure. but it's not as hard as people make it seem. Yeah. And it's not, it's a snowball. You know, at first, you know, I remember when I was. It's know, kind of like an ex- uh, exponential curve in some ways with uh, real estate, right? Totally. hundred yeah. percent. Like if you use your equity properly, it 100% is just like an investing in a stock that is a high growth stock. You know, it's, it's, which right now high growth stocks are getting slammed. So 
it might be a good time to buy for all the stock investors. <laughs> but um, but if you're if you're buying and and doing it properly, not over leveraging, you know, a lot of people try to milk every dollar of equity, and we're more conservative. Where we're not going to pull out everything we can. You know, we might we like to always maintain like at least at least thirty percent equity in a property. You know, okay. so seventy percent. Um, you know, some people you can get up to eighty yeah. percent. Um, but we do like to maintain some there, just just in case. Um, but when we when we were we've only ever sold three properties, and they were done to always re leverage into bigger or more units, just 10, like ten thirty one. Yeah, ten thirty one. We've yeah. done two ten thirty one exchanges, and we've sold one personal property where you can do a personal property every if as long as you maintained it as your primary residence for two of the last five mm-hmm. years. If you're married, you can take up to five hundred thousand without paying any taxes. Gotcha. No capital gains. Yeah, yeah, no capital gains. So, so we did that when we moved from Utah. I mean, this is kind of like I mean, we can spend a lot of time on this, but so stop me if you no. if we need to. But twenty nineteen, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you took one property into yeah. a. So, so I guess I can talk about the three properties we sold. So, so we did buy some along the way, you know, with our own cash that was just earned income. But mm-hmm. most of what we've got, we've got sixty-five plus fourteen plus three. So what's that? Sixty-five plus fourteen. Oh gosh, that's oh. seventy-nine plus three. So eighty-two of our units were were acquired without new capital. Okay, if that makes any sense. So, so if we own one hundred twenty, only forty have been purchased with our own. Just using the a lot of the increase in equity from the properties correct. that yeah. we had. Yeah, correct. Well, I mean, I guess are we you doing down the, payments. Are you doing any of the burr stuff as far as updating properties? So we've never, we've never, we've burred in the sense we actually almost did a burr. Um, okay. We on our primary residence in Utah, we bought that back in 2016. We put about 125, 150 thousand into it. It was a big remodel. It was a bank owned property as well. It was a big I'll remodel. Say. It was a six thousand square foot home. So oh, it was the wow. best house ever. Yeah, okay. My wife, yeah, my wife wouldn't let me sell it for a while. We but. had a we had a small contract, like actually a shorter contractor, and I told him I want higher cabinets. You know, we're both over six feet. And, yeah. And he goes, nobody's gonna want this house. I'm like, I want this house. Yeah. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast yeah. on that house, but it's a very nice house with views of the mountains. I mean, okay. we we loved it. So the Wasatch Front is very nice in Utah. So anyone that ever wants to go skiing, Utah's the best skiing in the world. I'm no good at it, but my wife will take you. So um. So anyways, I, I, it's real quick. I just yeah, went go. skiing like I told you in Montana. Finally okay. got out to Montana, and I've only ever skied a Perfect North, which I know you yeah. know what that yeah, is, which there. is a yeah. small hill. Let's yeah. just be honest. Have you been? There? Has she been there? It's like the Bunny Slopes. For it's a, yeah, it's it's smaller than the Bunny Slopes practically. <laughs> and I go to Montana, and I'm supposed to like ski like Jackson Hole, and I look up at the bottom from the bottom, I'm like oh my gosh, <laughs> I I was. I'm like I've been skiing, but I've apparently never actually been skiing. If you sorry, so that's one thing, segue yeah. there. So, so skiing, I was actually afraid for a second of my life there. You, you, one of your questions is like, what would you recommend that everybody do yeah. at least once? I think yeah. skiing in Utah is like one of those things. Like okay. you, once you go to the top of the mountain, it's like un, unreal. So you can't really fathom it, and pictures don't do it justice, obviously. Yeah. So, but so we bought this house, remodeled it. We lived in her parents' basement for a while. So one thing with real estate is you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and it's a very common thing and people talk about that a lot, but our norm is, would be very uncomfortable for somebody else. I mean, we even Airbnb our own personal property here, which right down the road from your office. Like yeah. if we're going, we went to Spain for Thanksgiving and my wife hates it, but we'll put our house on Airbnb and we'll rent it out. If somebody books it, we have to, we have certain, you know, places for everything and yeah. lockable closets and, and we have a system, but is, is that the key it. there is basically creating lockable closets. Mm-hmm. So it's like. 
here's the stuff that's available, here's the stuff that's not. Yeah. Lock away the things you like. That's yeah. pretty much <laughs> what I say. And yeah, I used to get like so Like, you still leave closets full of clothes and things like that? No, mm-hmm. we put everything you away. You have to put everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> well, it, that's the thing. You put away things that aren't replaceable. You know, like, I always get so mad when people cook wrong in my... Or do you just make your own closet lockable? You make your own closet okay. lockable. So, yeah. okay. so, you know, okay. we have two closets, so mine will be the lockable one, hers okay. is not. So, um, so it's just it's just a system. Yeah. And that's some. My wife actually coaches on Airbnb, you know, coaches other owners on Airbnb. Okay. And so she does really good with that. And we've we've been using Airbnb for probably six years, and it's been awesome. But our house in Utah, we would Airbnb as well when we were gone. But I don't know where I was going with this. So 2016, we bought the house. Going from um, there to a huge apartment. <laughs> so yes. So we went. So that was our biggest jump. Everything else before that, you know, when we sold the house in 20 that we bought in 2013, we sold that and bought two, uh, two one duplex and one single family. Yeah. When we sold a condo, the first condo I ever bought, the one in 2012, we sold that one in 2019, and we bought 14 more units. Um, and then this last time, when last year when we sold our primary residence, we actually tried to burr that one. So we had remodeled it. it just, we just took a longer time. You know, sure. we, had already, we knew it was worth way more than what we had put into it, so we were going to pull all that equity back out and buy something. But the most we would have been able to pull out without going into jumbo loan status was about 200000 in equity. So it wasn't anything to write home about. It was basically what we had put into it. You know, we were just getting yeah. that back out. Um, but it, on the day of closing, they canceled my refi. Um, the day it was supposed to close, they went into my Facebook, the lender, and saw that I had posted about moving to Kentucky. And I was refining as a primary because we split time. <laughs> we spent half the year there, half yeah. the year here. So we had these two houses. We had the house here down the road. And then we had the house in Utah. And so we, you know, we told them right up front, like, hey, we spend half the time in Utah, half the time here. We want to refinance as a primary for better rates, you know, yeah. for different things. And they canceled it the day of, and I could not get them to reopen my case. So long story short, we kept renting it. We don't buy any primary residence. This is a side topic, but we don't buy anything without an ADU. So, okay. you know, I think you spent time talking to... One of, uh, yeah. one of your podcasts yeah. talked about Joey ADUs. Speck. Yeah, he's awesome. So I enjoyed all your podcasts, by the way. They're really good. So, um, so wait, expand on the ADU. You're talking about here locally? Here locally, we have an ADU, and then yeah. also out there. So any primary house that we're going to live in, we've kind of decided that we want to have some sort of rental income on that property. So gotcha. whether it's a basement mother-in-law apartment, whether it's over the garage, you know, something that can be rentable. And that's what you have here, or you're talking mm-hmm. about just the house. So you have that and sometimes rent out the primary area. Yep. Yeah, so we have a with a basement apartment here that we have uh, awesome friends that actually yeah. have two kids of their own. It's a big, spacious two bedroom apartment, so we rent that to them, and it's awesome. I mean, it, yeah. we have friends. It's like having friends right next door, but they're just yeah, you know, right you know right that underneath awesome. you. Yeah, so so it's, it's you got to find the right neighborhood for that. I assume too, right? Yeah, you do. I yeah. mean, it seems like this one's a little bit more loose because I know of a client and friend that has a llama, no <laughs> alpaca. One of the two now in this neighborhood, which you would never guess that or think that, but yeah, we're technically in the that's county. Another story. Yeah, we're technically in the county, but it is you know there's an HOA, but it is a very understanding HOA, yeah. and I think we pay a hundred bucks a year, and it's like it's supposed to go towards a, a barbecue or something. But so anyway, so we <laughs> ADU here, ADU on the Utah house. Um, we rented the basement in Utah, and we and it, it comes in handy if you ever have parents that need a place or whatever you know we always want to have a dedicated space and it's gotcha. if you don't need that much space we only have two kids we don't yeah. need the full house anyway i mean it's it's plenty of space for us so we sold the utah house last year that was our we were within the limits you know of the $500,000 earned so we took that 
towards this purchase of these 65 units downtown, and it was none of our no new money. Um, we were able to negotiate some good financing on that. Normally, it's 20% down on commercial, 20 to 25%. Right. But I'll put a plug out here for uh, Joe Wilder, Citizens National. He's awesome. Um, okay. Two lenders that we use locally, Chris Boaz with Bank of the Bluegrass and Joe Wilder with uh, Citizens National. Uh, Joe was able, was already had the note on the property, and we purchased that, and he was able to get some, do 10% down, which was, we, I looked at the property initially and kind of wrote it off. You know, I like to yeah. look at a lot of stuff, and I usually just, I'm assuming I'm going, you know, more than half the time, I'm just going to walk from it, and yeah. just, I just want to see it. Yeah. But, the seller said, "Hey, well, you got to know your market." Totally, yeah. And so, and so, I like to know what's out there. So, if we have the time, I'll go look at it. Um, so, anyway, so he he the the owner said, "This person has the note on it. Reach out to him, see if he can do anything for you." So he accepted ten percent, and then some collateral um, on our own primary residence here because we had enough equity in it with all the inflation, you know, all the appreciation. Right. So he accepted that as second lien holder yep. on our primary here, and that was to protect them for the 5% because he'll do 15. You can, he can do 15% yeah. on commercial, but he was willing to go to 10% with the added collateral on our primary Making here. Up kind of the other 5% mm -hmm. type of thing. Yeah. So yeah. going from 20% okay. in my mind down the cash on cash return yeah. wasn't going to be very good down to 10% was like, wait, this is actually doable now. Um, and the proper the person we were purchasing it from, he was both the lender, the owner broker and agent on it so he was able we were able to ne negotiate some um not kickback but uh credit towards finishing four additional units that weren't completed yet on the pro on the property mm -hmm. so that was a six-figure credit towards finishing those four units so something that originally when i first looked at wasn't yeah. a good deal when you can negotiate some good financing and you can play with the numbers can become a home run back to the Consistent theme of a lot of this stuff is uh, the relationships with your local banks, mm -hmm. how <laughs> yeah. important that is. Um, what, I think one of the things that kind of stuck out to me, too, in this, it's easy to think, oh, wow, you have, what was it, 130 doors? Just over 120. Yeah. But if we back up again, I mean, you've been in it for 10 years, and kind mm -hmm. of back to that exponential, exponential curve, of like it's, a, it's not a game of quick, uh, it, can, it can speed up for sure. But, I mean, it's not like you're going to get into it and it's going to be a quick right-out-of-the-gate scenario. It's going to take some time to build up steam if your goal is to expand Well, and it. you don't want to start off at 120 yeah. either. Like, we have developed some very good, um, I don't know what you call it. Like a, a basis. Yeah, good, uh, good established, and a good um, basis to our business. You know, it's yeah. a solid. Team, knowledge yeah. base, Just like experience. a marriage. Like, I don't think someone should get married yeah. and date for a week, you know, and then have kids week two. You know, it's like, you can't do that. So you have to develop. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I dated my wife for a year. We were engaged for a year. Yeah. Married for two years before we had kids. So I think, yeah. I mean, not saying everybody should go that route, but having that understanding, you learn so much along the way from, you know, I like what you're doing. I think it's a hundred, it's the smartest thing you could be doing, doing your own remodeling at first or, yeah. you know, creating equity, some sweat equity. Sure, exactly. You have such a better appreciation for it. Like, uh, I can't I, imagine painting now. Like, I cannot fathom <laughs> painting a unit. Like, I won't do it. Like, yeah. I'll do some small touch-up, and I hate it. I did so. some trim, but we quickly did that. You know, found some good... And I might have to hit you up for some partners and some other things, because I don't think we've fully built out our a good a, our team. But we've gotten a lot of great, you know, different people along the way. So it's been good, yeah. But yeah, the first one's always the hardest, it seems like, from what I understand. And 
now I know what more to look at if I'm going through a property or looking at a part of property as far as what may need updated or, or I think we probably envision doing more of that of like looking at properties that could be, you know, um, improved upon and so forth like that, which I'm sure you could do some of that as well, just as more of a, to improve rent scenario. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I think everything, I mean, my wife is, she wants to remodel everything because she knows she's going to have a much better tenant to work with. I'm yeah. more like, hey, like, what can we do just to like, what what am I going to get an instant return on my money? <laughs> so I, I graduated with yeah. finance. So I, I look at it. I'm not a genius or guru at finance by any means. I'm barely a B average. So, but when I look at things, it's like, if it's not going to immediately yeah. give me a return, I don't want to spend money on it. Where she's like, time, you know, It doesn't time, look nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not interested. Time and what else? Time and simplicity and ease of there's a value to that that yeah. she equates more. You know? And that's where I've been definitely more, I think for me, like, okay, what I want it to look really nice like that, but then I'm not saying, okay, it's just a rental. Not like it's not like quote unquote, it's just a rental, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it is a rental, meaning it's going to get beat up. It's going to get torn apart in some respects. So I'm like, yeah, where is it worth going a little bit above what maybe on a price for this to improve that kind of the overall feel and look Versus this, which it doesn't really matter. We should probably just go with the cheaper option in that sense and trying to weigh those options in a lot of ways. My it's opinion been a good on experience. it is, is if you if it looks nice, tenants seem to treat it nicer. Yeah, that's you know, a good point. like if it's this garbage out or outdated apartment, they're yeah. kind of like whatever, right? You know, but like when it's this brand new looks brand new apartment, people are like, oh my gosh, I love it. You yeah. know, and they want to keep it nice and they decorate it nice and yeah. they, you know, that's my experience. And so I I think. You know, to kind of go, how do you love on your tenants? Like loving on your properties and letting them see you on site working. Like that's why we have a really good relationship with our tenants. Like yeah. they, through COVID, we didn't miss a single rent payment. So yeah. not many people can can say that. And it was a, we were super scared. I mean, I sold my truck when COVID hit. I sold my truck. I rented a car for a while. You know, not that I needed to, but I wanted to have an extra reserves. Sure. And because you know we we don't not that matters but we don't finance like vehicles we'll finance houses but so yeah. we sold the truck and just put it in our bank and said hey I'm going to wait this out and see what happens cuz I was working there sum- that summer anyway so I was yeah. going to rent a car anyway so I was like I don't need my truck sitting in my yeah. lot so so we did that but we are always on site you know at least once a week someone's yeah. going to see us and they'll see us picking up trash they'll see us you know creating you know asking hey how are your kids doing how are you doing and when they have that connection they they want to pay your their rent first. They don't want to lose. You know they they understand we're working hard for them. Yeah. So that's another way to love on your tenants is just making sure they know you care about the property too. Real quick before we kind of wrap up, uh, one of the stories we had we were talking about um, more from an insurance side of things was that I thought that it's a key important thing that people don't realize is a part of that uh, protection for as a landlord uh, side of things. So you want to speak to that story a little bit? I'll let or, Casey real quick, tell that I guess. Story. Yeah. Yeah. As far as. How insurance kind of helps save Just the day in some respect, uh, as far as a, lo- uh, a loss of use, so kind of like the lost rent kind of a scenario, and how that was able to help. Um, so the problem started when a tenant reported, and the problem is we were managing from Kentucky our Utah property, which we moved to Kentucky to take care of the properties in Kentucky. You know, yeah. And so we um, we got a text about eight o'clock at night Kentucky time. Um, saying that the toilet was making weird noises and that he had called out the handyman. And I was kind of like, why did he call it the handyman? You know, it's a plumber issue. Um, and then the next day we got a, um, I woke up to a text from him that had been sent the night before and the outside of our house was flooding. Oh, no. Um, and he was the basement yeah. apartment. And um, so anyways, we, we were just kind of watching our house flood from 
afar and just kept getting updates. Um, so basically, the house had flooded from two sides of the and property. And it was, it was from a sewer drain? Like it was a sewer a, drain, something yeah. that got stuck in the sewer line? Yeah, we had yeah. a plumber go out. There was, a, you know, the tenant denies it, of course, but right. there was a piece of tinfoil shoved <laughs> down the toilet, I think like two feet past his toilet. So we know it was from that toilet. Okay. Um, but it pretty much flooded the whole um, property. But then as, the basement, yeah. as, as we dug deeper, yeah. it was um, also a, a bad sewer line that yeah. was from a, a company that was no longer in business either. So, so the last thing was the insurance helped take care of that. But mm-hmm. I think the key part investors don't realize is that, like, I know when we were talking about it, uh, the lost rent during that time, where, how long did it take as far so as that was rent? in December, and I yeah. think it was completed at the beginning of March. Yeah. So, so you had at least two months there. Of so, mm-hmm. so we told the tenants, like, rent. hey, like, sorry, you know, you can live here in a construction zone or you can, <laughs> you can go. Like, we, you know, we felt really bad. And they, they, they agreed to go. And so the insurance was able to cover the loss of rent. For that basement apartment, which it was a, it was eleven hundred dollars a month, so yeah. I mean, that's something to take in consideration. It was a thirty thousand dollar remodel. We had just done, uh, you know, like a year before, two yeah. years before, which yeah. we didn't spend that much because we didn't do everything. We just did the floor, but it was very important to have good insurance on that because right. it would have been it would have set us back. You know, having you know you have reserves, but it's like you don't want to have too many of those uh, right. situations. And the insurance has helped us a lot, so. Definitely, exactly. definitely reach out to Landry because it's it's very important to have be well insured. Uh, real quick, a couple little quick questions about your all's uh, life. I mean, what's uh, one of your all's favorite trips and that you all have ever taken? Um, so right before we started having kids, or I guess we found out we were pregnant like a week before we left, but we did a trip around the world, and it was like one of my bucket list things really? to do. Yeah, it was super cool. We went um, went eight different spots. We went from I think it was London. We went to London, Dubai. Um, Maldives, Bali, Singapore, Australia, Fiji, Fiji, Hawaii, Hawaii. And, and and I, you know, was that a smart spend? No, like it was it was a pretty right. expensive trip, but it, you know we did it on a kind of on a budget. I mean, we sure. we were smart about it. It was just her and I, so we stayed in Airbnbs everywhere we went. We didn't stay on like the over the water villas, like you know, we weren't spending a ton of money. But Wait, you went to Maldives and didn't stay on the over the water villas. It was yeah, I, something I regret. Yeah, I should have spent more. I should. Our Maldives experience is very different yeah. than yeah. other we places. Know, okay, yeah, so it was it, we Maldives were, with an asterisk next to it. <laughs> I landed in Maldives. We took a two-hour boat ride to our island, stayed in Airbnb, and it was just. We had tuna, and we're vegetarian, mind okay. you. So, like, the only we my ate pregnant beans and wife crackers and tang orange juice, tang orange juice, beans, yeah, beans, crackers, and literally nothing. It was, and it, I and ate the no tuna service. just because I had to. I was like, I'm dying. Like, how we had no service. How, what, how, how long we, were you there? We were supposed to be there. I think it was two or nights or three nights. And <laughs> but when I landed, we got to the Airbnb ten o'clock at night or something, and I got a text message or email saying check in for your flight for tomorrow, and I was like what like so I totally like goofed and like only booked like I didn't line up my days perfectly so I had to scramble with no serve I got on the wi-fi and booked a last second flight for a day late you know I was like I can't yeah. fly out tomorrow we just got here so yeah. so yeah there was some planning uh, and then you're like well that. maybe we should have flown out <laughs> but, that. But, but, but we no. did yeah we did some night <laughs> snorkeling I mean it was the be- clearest water I've ever been to it was in the okay. Maldives. like we went to some pretty cool islands like it was still really awesome sure. we just didn't stay on the bungalow we stayed with a local and he took us everywhere like night, took us night yeah. snorkeling it was the scariest thing I've ever done night right. snorkeling yeah. um, took us to the to thing called Picnic Island it was this little tiny island like what you imagine on a calendar you yeah. know the most perfect sand on the planet you could walk the whole thing in probably five minutes wow and, it was just us too you know they just dropped us off and like 
give yeah. you a picnic. It was literally a picnic on the island. Spent yeah. all day there, so it was really we were cool. Snorkeling so. there, it was. You're amazing. just like, I hope they come back and get us. <laughs> Otherwise, <we're>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could have been left there. <laughs> Otherwise, we're trying to find a volleyball to befriend. So Maldives was cool, and then Bali, and then. Um, but yeah, so we had this experience. So what I was saying is like, it's important to spend on things that like will help you level up or change like your mindset. Like having that feeling of completing yeah. that goal that I've always had since like a little kid. Like I always wanted to travel around the world. Um, uh, yeah. Circum circumnavigate the globe. And, and so like I was in kind of in tears when I was in Hawaii, like complete completing that goal was like yeah. an experience that like you can't recreate. Right. And so, you know, everyone should do that, reward themselves as they hit, you know, different spots of their yeah. life and feel good about the accomplishments they have. Don't, you know, it's not right. about comparing. It's not about looking to somebody else. It's like, if that's something you want to do, you do it and you feel good about it when you accomplish it. Yeah. As you know, you go all, we all those grandparents or stories where they tell about some story about some trip they went on way back when, or when they were stationed somewhere or whatever. And they always, you know, they never, they always have such fond memories of some kind of big experience or event like that. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's totally worth it. Uh, well, if anybody wants to kind of get in touch with you to kind of get Airbnb, Airbnb advice or just kind of pick your brain on the stuff, I mean, what, where can they reach you at if, if you're willing to uh, give that out? My wife's phone rings plenty, so I shouldn't bother, <laughs> bother her anymore. But my number is 859-475-3330. We, we do Instagram and stuff. We have a, an account called Cashflow Casey's, but yeah. we don't post a whole lot on it. We're not like okay. Instagram influencers. Okay. We just like to, everything we post, we like to document more of our, for our sure. own journaling. Yeah. Like we just like to have it. So, but my wife does do a very good job, like teaching people on how to set up an Airbnb nice. and, and, um, you know, making sure everything's done right. But yeah. she, uh, she will even manage that for people, but, um, that's something we can talk about. So very cool. Yeah. Well, Kevin Casey, thank you all for ha coming on the show today. And make sure everybody uh, tune in next week for another episode of the Keys to Commonwealth uh, podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Appreciate you all coming on the show today. To learn more about this podcast, visit our page at keystothecommonwealth.com. To connect with Landry regarding insuring your investment portfolio, email Landry at novainsurancegroup.com or call 859-687-2004. 